Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the first episode of the Amateur Update. I'm your host, Monty Taylor. This is a brand new show from Half Street High Heat, where we're going to be talking college baseball, amateur prospects for the MLB draft, and even some minor league baseball. But today... We're going to cover the weekend recap of the big college baseball series. We're going to talk about the top five picks in this year's MLB draft. And we're going to discuss some of the college arms that have fallen down the rankings due to injury or other circumstances. I don't have a co-host. So if you get tired of my voice, that's going to just be tough because this is all you got for now. Hopefully we can get some guests later on uh, as this goes on. And in the meantime, just sit back and enjoy the ride. Now, the Amateur Update is just one of four new shows debuting for Half Street High Heat on Patreon. This week's episodes are all free, but starting next week, they go up on Patreon. You can sign up now by visiting Half Street High Heat on Twitter and clicking the link in the pinned tweet. And if you follow the instructions in that tweet, you'll actually be entered for a giveaway for some new Nationals Cherry Blossom merch, uh, including a hat and uh, a shirt. And those are some pretty, pretty fire uh, merch um trivia question we're gonna start off the show with a trivia question i will answer it at the end of the show so here it is the first ever trivia question on the amateur update this future mlb hall of famer once played all nine positions in a game for florida state he even hit a grand slam in that game who is he again i'll have your answer at the end of the show let's kick it into some weekend review i've got about seven or eight baseball series from college baseball to talk about. And we're going to first start with the number one team in the nation, the Tennessee Volunteers. They swept Ole Miss last week, and they came back Wednesday for a midweek matchup against Western Carolina, took care of business there before going on the road again in the SEC for another top 10 matchup against Vanderbilt, who, as you guys should know, is one of the premier programs of the last five to seven years. 
And I don't think Tennessee had won a series in quite some time. And they went into Vanderbilt. They won 6-2 on Friday, 5-2 on Saturday, and 5-0 on Sunday. And the thing I want to talk about first is something that happened on Friday that was pretty entertaining. The game had just started. It was on ESPN2. Jordan Beck, who is number 24 on my big board, I have him as a first-rounder. In my mock draft, I actually have him going number 26 overall to the White Sox. He's had a great start to his 2022 campaign. He's a big, big outfielder. He hits an opposite field home run in the first inning to right field, and it's one nothing Tennessee, right? Well, all of a sudden, I look up from my couch, and I see that the, uh, the, the home run's being wiped off the board. They're looking at the bat. And uh, Tennessee manager is out there and he is hopping mad and it's, it's something's going on. There's a nice little kerfuffle there, which I think is always good for baseball. If there's a little bit of a kerfuffle there, especially with a, with a big rivalry between Tennessee and Vanderbilt as there is. And apparently what happened was, is the bat was illegal because it didn't have the approved sticker. Now, all the bats have to have uh, have to be inspected and have the approved stickers for them to be legal bats. So there wasn't necessarily anything wrong with the bat itself other than the fact that it didn't have a sticker. And because of that, that made the bat illegal. It wasn't necessarily a corked bat or anything like that. It was just no sticker on the bat. So instead of a one nothing Tennessee lead and Jordan Beck's, I think, sixth home run of the year, they wipe it off 0-0. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. Tennessee takes care of business in that game 6-2. There's not much to talk about in this series regarding Vanderbilt, even though they have a slew of, uh, of big names, um, prospects. Uh, but briefly, I do want to talk about Enrique Bradford Jr., their center fielder, who is an absolute stud. Now, he does go 2-for-11 in the series, doesn't have a great series, but on Friday night, again, uh, against Chase Burns, who is a absolute stud on the mound for Tennessee. He has such great base running instincts. Before Burns had even thrown the ball, he's on the move. And he stole second easily. And then next pitch does the same thing, steals third. Now, I'm not sure what Burns was thinking, not trying to throw over. He wasn't worried about him. But ultimately, Bradford stole second and third on consecutive pitches and then walk, uh, came in home on a uh, a routine play after that to, you know, just beautiful instincts. He's very fast. He's normally, he's a lot better outside of the series. He hit, he's hitting 333 on the season. Uh, you know, he, he gets a lot of walks. He's got hot, more walks than strikeouts, which is always good in the college game. And he's got 18 uh, stolen bases with none caught stealing. He's got fantastic base running uh, instincts and he's a top five prospect for the 2023 draft uh, and if you're a nationals fan you've seen a lot of talks about tanking in the 2023 draft so that's a player you might want to burn into your memory um, if he continues to play the way he is now he did not have a good rest of the series he did hit a home run in game two but other than that not much like i said two for 11 not great but tennessee there's plenty to talk about with their lineup why don't more people talk about Drew Gilbert? He's their center fielder, and he is very, very good. He missed some time this season, I think five or six games, but he's hitting 452 with 10 doubles, two triples, three home runs, 
He's got 17 walks versus just 11 Ks, and uh, he's just having a monster year. He's the heart and soul of that lineup, which, by the way, is the best lineup in the country by far, and he's not getting much love on the draft boards. Part of that's probably because of his size. He is five foot nine, 185 pounds, and that's probably what's putting him down. But as you guys know, watching Jose Altuve, who's 5'5", five, five, I think he's listed 5'6", but let's be honest, that's a lie. Dustin Pedroia wasn't tall. You know, height doesn't matter as much baseball as it does in, in other sports. So not sure why Drew Gilbert's not getting the love as he continues to produce. Uh, he plays with swagger, and uh, he's got a lot of grit, and that's what we'd like to see. So Drew Gilbert, and then, of course, we already talked about uh, Jordan Beck, the, uh, the big-time outfielder for Tennessee who had that home run wiped off on Friday. Uh, and then we've, everyone's been talking about Tennessee's lineup, but let's, let's turn it a little bit. Let's talk about their pitching staff. Blade Tidwell is a first-round talent for Tennessee. He's their ace, but he has not pitched yet this season. He's been injured. He was supposed to make his return uh, sometime this weekend. He ultimately did not. I expect we'll see him uh, next weekend, uh, if not in the midweek game. But that's caused Tennessee to depend on two freshmen in their rotation, and uh, that's Chase Burns and Drew Bean. Now, Chase Burns would not be the Friday starter, if Tidwell was healthy and instead he's the fresh, he's the Friday starter and he's got to be the main guy uh, for Tennessee. And he has been just absolutely fantastic. He's six and zero with a 1.15 ERA 52 strikeouts, just 10 walks. Uh, hitters are only hitting 154 against him and they, he's not playing, you know, he's not playing nobody's. He had to face Texas. He had to face Ole Miss. He faced a South Carolina team who, who are pretty decent because they've beaten Texas and they've beaten, uh, you know, a couple teams, but he's now done it against Vanderbilt. So he is showing real stuff. So that's somebody you want to look for uh, in the 2024 draft, but he is an absolute maniac. They've got their ace for years to come. And that doesn't even, that's, that's somewhat overshadowed the success of their Sunday starter, their game three starter, typically drew beam, another freshman, he is 6-0 with a 0.88 ERA. He's got 29 strikeouts versus six walks, so he's not as much of a swing uh, a strikeout guy. And But hitters are hitting under 100 against him, and these two guys are getting a little bit uh, – they're not getting the recognition they deserve because Tennessee's lineup has been so good. But the pitching staff has been unbelievable, and I haven't even started talking about Ben Joyce, uh, their, their reliever who could throw 104-105 consistently. So Tennessee's freshman aces love watching them play. Tennessee sweeps Vanderbilt. They are now 25 and one, excuse me. They are 27 and one and nine and zero in the sec. They are by far the number one team in the country. And their only loss coming at the Shriners college classic against Texas in which Pete Hansen for Texas, shut them down. We'll talk more about Pete Hansen in a little bit before we, but first we're going to move on to another SEC series, the Florida and Georgia series on that went from Thursday to Saturday. And I watched, I got to watch the Thursday night game. It was a fantastic baseball game. Uh, Hunter Barco is the Florida ace. 
and he may very well be the first college pitcher off the board in July. He is a 6'4 lefty out of Jacksonville. He's currently sitting at number 23 on my board. I believe I have him going 20th to the Braves in my mock draft. He is a pretty good pitcher. Uh, He wouldn't be the number one college arm if not for a slew of injuries and some other issues with some other pitchers. Uh, That's why he's ranked so low despite being the top college arm. But I got to watch him face Georgia, who's a pretty good lineup. And uh, he didn't have his best stuff. He uh, he grinded. It reminded me a little bit. I don't want to I don't want to compare him to Max Scherzer. But if you remember watching Max Scherzer in the World Series where he just grinded out outs, that's ultimately what Hunter Hunter Barco did. And, and I believe did the exact same stat line of, you know, five innings, three runs, uh, kept his team in the ball game, gave them a chance to win. He does look a lot more improved from 2021. He's got a he's got a plus slider that I really enjoy. It moves really horizontal. Uh, you can start the waist and end towards the knees on a diagonal line. But his fastball is very very average. It only sits around 91. Uh, I saw it get to 92, 93 a little bit a couple times. But um, first uh, second pitch of the game, 1-0 fastball to Ben Anderson, home run Georgia uh, in the fourth inning. He throws a 1-1 fastball to Harper, and it's it's a bomb. Um, and then he's got a 2-1 fastball in that same inning. This again to Ben Anderson, and luckily that one was uh, robbed by uh, a great defensive play by Robert Langford to, to bail Hunter Barco out there, but his fastball is very, very average. He's got a decent changeup, a plus slider, and – that's what he's been working with this season. And that was one of his worst season, starts of the season, three runs uh, in five innings, but he still struck out six. He's going to pitch again on Thursday night against Arkansas, the number two team in the country. So that's going to be something to look forward to. Um, I know it's opening day on Thursday, but it's going to be a lot of fun to watch Hunter Barco pitch. I'm a big pitching guy. I love watching uh, pitchers. So Hunter Barco is somebody I like to watch and uh, hopefully he can get that, uh, that fastball figured out. Cause you know, if I'm drafting a college arm and we'll talk about the injured arms a little bit later, I think I'd rather go with a Kumar rocker or a Connor prelip who have some questions about their health rather than Hunter Barco. If you can't get that fastball figured out, I mean, it's lower nineties, and it sat over the plate just way too much. Georgia sat on that fastball and absolutely crushed it. The other player from this series I'm going to talk about is Judd Fabian. He was the 40th overall pick by the Red Sox last year, didn't sign, came back. He's sitting at number 43 on my draft board. Uh, he, he, as a college hitter goes, He's all right. He's hitting 265. That's not great. I talked about Drew Gilbert a little earlier in the show about Tennessee and Gilbert hit was hitting 452 by comparison. Now that's a really, that's, that's where you're looking for your top prospect hitters to be hidden, you know, uh, upper three hundreds bordering on, uh, on that 400 average and Judd Fabian's hitting 265. He does have 12 home runs, including uh, two this weekend against Georgia. Uh, but he's got some swing and miss concerns. 
Uh, he's already got 24 strikeouts. He's a career 252 hitter. He's got 166 strikeouts in 160 games at Florida. So if he was playing a full MLB season at Florida, he'd have 166 strikeouts, which, as you guys know, is not a great number in Major League Baseball, uh, though you'll sometimes take it with the power numbers that he might have. But as he moves on to the next level, is that going to be the the kind of thing you, that gets worse or better? Uh, we're talking about Judd Fabian because, like I said, he's number 43 on our draft board. He's He was the 40th overall draft pick by the Red Sox. You'd think he'd be going higher, but the swing and miss concerns, the contact, it's a little light. Uh, but the reason we're talking about Judd Fabian, if you're a Nationals fan, is the Nationals' second-round pick is at number 45. So Judd Fabian could be on the board at number 45. It's funny that we just spent all that time talking about Hunter Barco and Judd Fabian and the Florida Gators, when they lost all three games to Georgia, 7-6, 6-1, 14-8. Now, that Thursday night game was fantastic. Judd Fabian, he hit that. He hit a monster shot in the ninth inning to go up 6-4. Looked like Florida was going to shut the door. Georgia comes right back, wins the game 7-6 in walk-off fashion. They take care of business the rest of the weekend. Florida down to number 24 in my top 25 rankings, I believe in several publications, they've actually dropped out of the top 25 uh, when they were uh, a top 20 or top 10 team just a few weeks ago. Continuing with the SEC, Mississippi State, the defending national champions, they went to Arkansas. Arkansas is the number two team in the country right now. They've very quietly just gone about their business. And they won the first two games in dominating fashion, 8-1 and 12-5, before dropping game three in 12 innings by a score of 5-3. to three. Just a routine weekend for Arkansas. They continue to, to play very, very well. Uh, and they are just staying under the radar, hoping to do better than last year. Remember, they, came, they went into the Super Regionals with a target on their back as the number one overall seed and then were upset by NC State and didn't even make it to Omaha. So they are very happy to fly a little bit under the radar with, you know, Tennessee getting a lot more recognition. Uh, I don't know how their fans feel about that, but if I'm an Arkansas fan, I'd feel a lot better about them flying under the radar. All right, last, last series in the SEC I'm going to talk about. I've watched a lot of LSU this year, and we're going to talk Auburn at LSU. It was another Thursday through Saturday series. Auburn took game one, six, five, LSU won game two, nine, two, and Auburn won the series on Saturday with the game three win six to four. So LSU drops another home series uh, after they lost the opening SEC weekend series to Texas A&M. They are struggling at home despite having one of the best lineups in college baseball, in my opinion. They've got potentially four first-round picks in their top four uh, guys in the lineup. We're talking Trey Morgan, uh, who could be a first-round pick in 2023, Cade Dowdy, who could be a first-round pick this year, Jacob Berry, who will be a first-round pick this year, and then Dylan Cruz, who could be the number one pick in 2023. Those four guys are having good years. Uh, Trey Morgan, a little bit less so than the other three. But those guys are all having good years, but LSU is not winning the, the series they need to win. They've dropped down, I think, to around number 20 in a lot of polls. I think I have them at, at 16 maybe, uh, which is generous. And 
what we got to talk about with Jacob Berry, who is a potential pick for the Nationals at number five, is is the defense. Uh, and it's not just Barry, Kate Dowdy, who's playing second base. I think he played shortstop in one of these games. He's having a rough uh, defensive season. He's got nine errors. Jacob Berry has got four, most of them at third base, but I've also seen him misplay a couple balls in right field when he's been out there. And Trey Morgan has three errors. So these guys are not playing great defensively. The pitching hasn't been good, but you'd still expect them to win some of these series just on sheer uh, offensive output with these, you know, first round talents. And they're not doing that. And it's got to be frustrating if you're an LSU fan, especially when they're known to have such a home atmosphere and they're, they've dropped two home series. They did win a series, uh, their first series in the SEC last week when they went to Florida and took two out of three in Gainesville. But in Baton Rouge, they have, they're 0 for 2 in the SEC, uh, losing to unranked Texas A&M and unranked Auburn. So, but Jacob Berry hitting 354, eight home runs, 32 RBIs. He's got 12 walks versus 12 Ks. Cade Dowdy, who is, uh, he's played into the first round for me. I've got him as a first round pick, uh, late first round pick. He's hitting 369, leads the team. He's got seven homers, 12 doubles, 32 RBIs, 17 walks versus the 22 Ks. But he does have those nine errors, most of them at second base. And then Dylan Cruz, the potential number one draft pick. In 2023, he's hitting 342, seven home runs, three doubles, two triples, and has 17 walks versus just 24 strikeouts. So those guys are all playing really well, and yet LSU finds themselves at a four and five record in the SEC, despite the power at the top of the lineup. And I didn't even talk about Joe Bear, who is their DH, who has 10 home runs and is absolutely mashing the baseball. So, you know, they got to figure out the pitching. They got Dylan Money, their ace, who has pitched okay, but uh, Ty Floyd has been disappointing, and uh, Michael Hilliard has been disappointing, and they're struggling to find pitching, and then the defense is not picking up for them. So Jacob Berry, we'll talk more about him a little bit later when we move on to the next segment, talking about the top five picks, but he has not been very good defensively and I, I'd like to see him get a little bit more time out at right field instead of going back and forth between right and third depending on the situation but uh, he still doesn't quite look comfortable out in right field so LSU drops the series to Auburn they're going to head to Mississippi State this weekend and hope for a better result against the defending national champions we'll see a little bit more of what LSU's made out made of they cannot afford to drop another SEC series Okay, we're going to change up and head to the ACC. Georgia Tech at the University of Virginia. UVA won the series after Georgia Tech took game one. UVA took game two, 13-9, and game three, 18-9. A lot of offense, as you can hear from those score lines. But I want to talk about Georgia Tech's Kevin Parada. He is... Currently number 11 on my board. He might actually have gone up a little bit into the top 10 after this weekend. He is uh, the top catcher among a group of potential first-round catchers that includes Daniel Suzak of Arizona and Logan Tanner of Mississippi State, though Logan Tanner is a little bit more, I think, a little bit distant. He's, He's the most defensive of the group. 
but hitting wise, he's not in the same realm as uh, Suzak or Parada. And Parada on the season hitting 374, he's got 11 home runs and uh, 19 walks versus just 14 strikeouts. And he also has five hit by pitches and as a catcher, five stolen bases, which is massive. He didn't have the best series. He still hit, he still went four of 12 with a home run, three RBIs, and three walks. But what I want to talk about is in the first inning of game one against Nate Savino, who is number 63 ranked prospect, according to uh, Baseball America, uh, lefty. Uh, he was having a great season. He had an ERA down near two. And he comes in with an approach, and Savino is looking to shut down this Georgia Tech offense. He takes care of Trace Gonzalez to start the game. He gets Parada 1-1 and 1-2, uh, excuse me, and has a chance to get the punch out or get the out 1-2. Parada gets, proceeds to battle, sees 10 pitches, fouls off four of them before earning a walk, and I think that really – threw off Savino's game. Now it's hard to tell because Savino had only faced one pitcher before that, or excuse me, one hitter before Parada, but I, I'm inclined to believe Savino was thrown off a bit by the battle with Parada. Parada walks to first, ends up scoring, uh, and Georgia Tech ends up scoring two runs in the inning. Could have scored more uh, as they loaded the bases, but he comes up in the second inning. Line drive single to left off Savino. And then in his third at-bat, it was a towering two-run blast to deep left off a 1-0 curveball from Savino to make it 6-3, which would ultimately be the winning runs there because they held on to win 6-4 in game one on Friday. So Kevin Parada, my number one catcher, currently 11 on my big board. I have him going in the draft. 16th overall to the Guardians. I don't think he's going to uh, – the mock drafts a little. I don't think he's going to fall that far. Very, very good hitter. A, a very professional approach uh, watching him play. It was just fantastic. Now, the other thing, you know, UVA won this series. They're the number three team in the nation. Georgia Tech's pitching is absolutely woeful. Uh, as a staff, they have a 6.18 ERA. And they lost a game to Wake Forest a few weeks ago, 27 to 7. That was a baseball game, not a football game. With that lineup, and especially the one through three of Trace Gonzalez, Kevin Parada, and Andrew Jenkins, they could be one of the best teams in the country with even average pitching. So Georgia Tech is going to be in trouble if they don't figure out that pitching staff because they got swept by NC State last weekend. They lost a series to UVA this weekend. They take on Florida State next this weekend. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how they find a way to right the ship because they've got one of the most talented offenses in the country, and it's just being wasted by a terrible, terrible pitching staff. And we need to see a lot better performances from the Yellow Jackets moving forward. Speaking of Florida State, who I just mentioned that Georgia Tech has to play this weekend, Florida State had a massive series against Notre Dame. And Florida State, if you love pitching, Florida State has one of the best rotations in the country, one through four. I think they've got a top prospect is their weekday starter. Parker Messick, pitching for the, for the Seminoles on Friday night, probably had the performance of the weekend for college baseball. Eight innings, two hits, 11 strikeouts, 
No walks or hit by pitches. 108 pitches. He leaves the game. Unfortunately, Notre Dame comes in to win in 12 innings, 2 nothing. So Parker Messick's outstanding performance wasted as Notre Dame gets the W on Friday night. He is 4-1 on the year, 2.35 ERA. But here's the big thing. He's got 46 innings pitched, right? 46. 76 strikeouts in 46 innings, just 11 walks. It's just unfortunate that John Michael Bertrand on the other side, Notre Dame's ace, had a pretty good night himself. He went seven and two-thirds, four hits, one walk, 12 Ks. So it's just tough. That's what you get sometimes on Friday night, ace versus ace, and you'll have games that end up being two-nothing in 12. (laughs) On Saturday, it was Bryce Hubbard, the other big-time lefty. Now, I have Messick and uh, Hubbard. They're number 36 and number 40 on my board, respectively. So Hubbard is up there, just as talented as Messick. He uh, he only goes three and one-third, gives up three hits, two earned runs, two strikeouts, three hit-by-pitches, which I imagine played the factor in the early hook when you hit three batters, 68 pitches, and they end up losing 5-4 to Notre Dame on Saturday. And then Sunday they lost 9-7. to seven. So Notre Dame sweeps Florida State, and I believe a lot of publications have Florida State out of the top 25. I believe that I have them at 21. And just a tough weekend overall for Florida State at home against the Irish, who have righted the ship. But you expect a lot more out of Bryce Hubbard on Saturday, and uh, he's a guy to keep an eye on because either Parker Messick or Bryce Hubbard could be shooting up the draft boards, especially with the injuries to top college pitchers like Landon Sims and you know, some of those other guys, Carson Wisson Hunt failing a drug test. So again, we're going to talk about those pitchers a little bit more later. Let's head to the big 12. We only have two more series to talk about Texas and Oklahoma, the red river shootout. We know it's big in football, but it's pretty big in baseball as well. They went to globe life field where the Rangers play had a three game series there, Texas on Friday night, Pete Hansen monster performance Friday night, his best start of the year. Eight innings, two hits, one earned run, 12 Ks, two walks, one hit by pitch, 117 pitches. He's now 5-0 on the year as Texas wins 7-1. He has 52 strikeouts versus just eight walks. He's not in my top 50, but he probably should be. He's a lefty. Uh, He had some injury concerns last season, still working on getting his velocity up. That probably played a factor in him not being in that top 50. So Texas takes game one, seven to one. Game two, Oklahoma. They take game two, four to two. And then game three, they are up seven to one in the seventh inning. Looks like Oklahoma is going to win a, uh, a big series over Texas. And Texas is going to drop its second consecutive Big 12 conference series and instead texas has a pair of three run blasts in the seventh inning to tie the game we head to the ninth inning it's seven seven texas scores five runs to go up 12 seven oklahoma adds one more in the bottom of the ninth can't get the job done and that is the series texas wins game three 12 eight and the series two games to one to get back to three and three in conference play before heading home to host Texas Christian this weekend. Real quick, we're going to talk about Trey Faltini and Ivan Melendez of Texas. 
They're rising up some draft boards. You already know I love me some Ivan Melendez, the Hispanic Titanic, best nickname in college baseball. He's hitting 387 this year, which is up from his 319 average in 2021. He was drafted in the 16th round by the Marlins, came back to school because obviously he felt that was pretty low. It is pretty low. Remember that I think there were only 20 rounds last year. So he comes back to school. He's hitting way better. He's got 13 home runs already on the year, which matches last year's total. And he did that in 29 last games. He's got 29 walks versus 27 strikeouts, so his plate vision is looking better. So he's looking to shoot up the draft boards and be at least a top 10-round pick, ideally sneaking into the top five, even possibly one, if he continues to, to continue just to improve that plate vision and hit for power and contact. Now, Trey Faltini is the Texas shortstop. He is a light-hitting, or before the season, was was a light-hitting defensive whiz. He's hitting 297 this season. In 2021, he hit 249, and in 2020, he hit 259. So his contact is way up. Now, I know we said 297 is not great for a college hitter, but for somebody who's hit under 250 the previous season, 297 is fantastic. He had six career home runs before – this season, he's already got 10 this year, though he does have a major strikeout problem. He's already got 45 strikeouts. So Trey Faltini, Texas shortstop, Ivan Melendez, the Hispanic Titanic, first base for Texas. Those two guys shooting up some draft boards. Now, flip side, Peyton Graham. I have him going uh, number 31 to the Giants. In my first mock draft, I think he's probably going to fall out of the first round when I do my second mock draft. He hasn't had a great season. He's transitioned to shortstop for the Sooners. He's only hitting 282 with five doubles, five home runs. Uh, he's got four walks versus 26 strikeouts and six errors. He had a good series against Texas. He went five for 13, six RBIs, but his overall number is not great. So in my next mock draft, you probably will not see him in the first round. He did. He's not having a great year. He needs to maybe the transition to shortstop is playing some factor. He is the only, he is the big guy in the Oklahoma lineup. So I'll give you that. That's a tough, tough to be. A lot of these other players are part of a big lineup and he's the guy in the Oklahoma lineup. So that could be playing a factor as well. What's interesting to me about Texas is they looked like the clear number one after the Shriners Children's College Classic in early March. They're 10 and nine since then. Uh, since pulling Tanner Witt at that, in that third game of the Classic, which I believe was against UCLA, and UCLA ended up winning that game, but they had to pull Tanner Witt. Later that week, they find out Tanner Witt is going to need season ending Tommy John surgery. And that's it for Tanner Witt, who is who was ranked as the top 2023 pitcher. So not good uh, that Texas is 10 and nine. Uh, Texas is a deep pitching team. So ideally this shouldn't affect them, but you have to wonder, is there some sort of psychological effect to losing one of their best pitchers in that series? Cause they're 10 and nine since they were 11 and 0 before the clear number one team in the country. Now they're dropped down to number eight in my latest rankings. Final series we're going to talk about, we're going to go out west to the Pac-12, Stanford versus Oregon State. Game one, Stanford won in 10 innings, 1-0. Game two, Oregon State came back, 
one three to two in 11 so two extra inning games it was a fantastic series uh, but stanford came out on top in game three eight to five in corvallis against the number three team in the nation i now have them ranked number four and it's a big big series for stanford who was at one point this season ranked number two after beating arkansas very early in the season i think it was in february and since then they've been disappointing they have struggled mightily offensively this year uh brock jones who's supposed to be a top 10 pick he might have dropped out of the first round he's hitting 268 uh the team is slashing 271 357 433 which would not be bad statistics for a major league baseball team but for a it's fairly mediocre for a college team with dreams of a national championship i would think so brock jones is a big part of that he was number nine on my board. He is slipping down fast. If you're wondering how poor his season has been, he's hitting 268 with two home runs and just nine extra base hits, 10 RBIs. In 2021, by comparison, he hit 311, 18 home runs, 32 extra base hits, 62 RBIs, and 49 walks. So not having the impact he he wants to this year, and that's been a microcosm of Stanford as a whole, not getting the offense going. And they are back in the top 25 this week at number 23 in my rankings after falling out of them last week. And they've got to get Brock Jones going. They got to get that freshman phenom, Tommy Troy going. He's only hitting 241. He's got three walks versus 16 strikeouts. He's having trouble adjusting to the college game. And if Stanford has hopes of a postseason run, They've got to get the offense figured out, and specifically Brock Jones, that that stud outfielder that's supposed to be a big name for him. He's not getting it done. He's seeing his draft stock plummet as he was a top 10 pick. I had him going, I think, to the Mets at – no, I had him going to the Royals at number nine. So he was nine on my big board, nine in the mock draft. Instead, he has plummeted down. I'm not sure he's a first-round talent at this point given his numbers and the numbers of other players that could take his place in the first round and Stanford, despite winning this series still have not gotten that offense going. Like I said, they won a game one, nothing and they lost three, two, and then they finally had some offense in game three and winning eight, five Oregon state on the other hand, dropping a series at home. You don't like to see it, but they'll be okay. They're, they're still probably the top team in the pack 12 and should be able to maintain their run as a top five team this season. So real quick, let's talk about these other Patreon shows before we head to talking about the top five picks. Okay. So we've got my show, the amateur update, but we've also got a show with Allison and Amanda called pitch perfect. They're going to be bringing you an in-depth episode about different aspects of the game we love, including Nationals roster opinions, history lessons on lesser-known Nats, and baseball facts, as well as current event deep dives. I'm really excited about this one. I love Allison and Amanda. They're fantastic, and I can't wait to hear their show. We're going to have a nice new gambling show that's going to be hosted by Matt Holleran. He is going to be the main host with a rotating panel of guest hosts uh weekly but if you're looking for gambling picks he's going to be your guy 
And then our last show is going to be the Half Street Fantasy Hour with Nick and CK. And they're going to break down all the fantasy baseball stuff that you need to know to get ready for your draft. So all these shows are available on Patreon after this week for $10. Or if you just want to watch one specific show, it'll be $3. So if you just want to listen to my show, you're just going to cost you 3 bucks a month to listen to Monty talk about college baseball, listen to this beautiful voice. If you want to listen to all the shows, which I highly recommend, because like I said, Alice and Amanda are fantastic. Matt really knows his gambling stuff. And then Nick and CK are, you know, they're okay. Uh, just kidding. But their, their, their shows can be fantastic. I'm going to be subscribing to all their shows. So I highly recommend you do the same. Only cost you 10 bucks a month. Great content. And there'll be more content to come on that Patreon as well. These are just the beginning of what we can offer in terms of baseball content. Okay, so on to our next segment. We're going to be talking about our top five picks. And this is where it gets really intriguing. I've been talking about this with tons of people, and this is where it gets fun. The Orioles have the number one pick. Diamondbacks pick second. The Texas Rangers pick third. The Pirates pick fourth. And the Nationals pick fifth. And everyone's got an opinion, right? We get to the Nationals get to pick in the top five for the first time since I believe Anthony Rendon in 2011. Oh, nope. He was number six in 2011. So it's the first time we're drafting the top five since we drafted Bryce Harper in 2010 when we drafted him number one overall. So we're going to talk about the top five picks here. Now, my first mock draft, I have the Nationals taking Elijah Green at number five. That's still on the table. A lot of that is contingent on the Rangers or somebody going under slot or going pitcher. That may not happen. Right now, my number one, if I'm the Orioles, my number one pick is probably going to be Tamar Johnson or Brooks Lee. I, uh, those, are the, those are the number one and number two guys on my big board. I like them because of their swing their plate approach and I'm a big, they're the two best hitters in the class. Drew Jones, for some reason, just kind of scares me a bit. He is uh, the number one pick in my mock draft. He goes number one to the Orioles. He's number three on my big board. He is the best defensive outfielder available. He's got 70 speed and I did see a video a couple weeks ago of a home run he hit when he's getting chanted, overrated chance at him. Beautiful home run. Looks like it was to dead center. The only thing that worried me a little bit, and I've been trying to find some more clips of his swing, uh, that back foot lost balance a little bit. And uh, you're supposed to squash the bug. And instead, it kind of it kind of just uh, stepped in the bucket is the term that we say. So that worried me a little bit, but if that's just a one-time thing, that's not nothing to be concerned about. And I'm sure if it was a more consistent issue, I wouldn't be the first to notice it because it was pretty noticeable in that one video. So I'm sure it's not a major issue. It just scared me in that one video. He still hit a home run. Uh, but the thing with Drew Jones, if, 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 if his floor is a Michael Taylor or Victor Robles with that def- defense, that's not a bad floor. Um, 
I just, I would want more from a number one pick. If his floor is his father, who is a borderline Hall of Famer, which I don't think that's his floor, that could probably be, you know, that's to have that be somebody's floor would be insane. But if he can replicate anything close to his father's career in Atlanta, he is well deserving of that number one pick. But right now I have the Orioles taking Drew Jones, number one. And even though I would probably take Tamar Johnson or Brooks Lee in my mock draft, number two, I do have the Diamondbacks taking Tamar Johnson. Now Tamar Johnson, if you're not familiar with him, he's a high schooler from Georgia. He's playing shortstop at his high school, but due to his range, he's probably going to move to second base uh, in terms of a professional career. He's got a beautiful quick swing, 70 hit grade. That is the best hitting grade of the class. Remember scouting grades are judged on a 20 to 80. So a 70 as a uh, high school prospect is pretty big. He's got 60 power, 50 run, 50 arm, 55 field, 60 overall. I like him at number two to the Diamondbacks who, who I think will take him or Brooks Lee, uh, depending on who's available. Um, Now remember with the number one pick Brooks Lee, Tamar Johnson, Drew Jones are all in the look at number one. I just think the Orioles go Drew Jones, Dimebacks go Tamar Johnson at number two. Moving on to number three, this is the most intriguing one in my mock draft. I, for some reason, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was my gut. I have the Rangers taking Dylan Lesko, the top pitcher available at number three. Now that would allow them to go a little bit under slot and allows them to get a pitcher. I just have a feeling they're going to do something a little different than what they've normally done. And I think they go, they go pitcher. Now Dylan Lesko is my number seven prospect on the board. So going three is a little bit surprising, but this is a kid who is with all the injuries to the college arms is the best pitcher available. He's got a, he's got a 60 fastball. So he's got an above average fastball. He's got a plus changeup. A really good changeup, uh, decent curveball, decent control. He's going to be the number one pitcher off the board. It's just a matter of when. I have the Rangers taking him at three, but the Rangers could take anybody at three. They could even potentially go with Jace Young, who would be uh, who would then get to join his brother Josh Young in the Rangers organization. Josh Young is injured right now, but he's one of the top prospects for the Texas Rangers. So. The Rangers have a lot of options. Elijah Green, Brooks Lee, Jace Young, Dylan Lesko. One of those four are going to go number three. I have them taking Dylan Lesko, the pitcher. Which leads us to the Pirates at number four. And Brooks Lee is who I have going to them at number four. If Brooks Lee falls to number four, he's gone. I can't see them passing up on Brooks Lee. Of course, they could go under slot, just like the Orioles could go under slot because they're both cheap. But listen to Brooks Lee's stats. He's at Cal Poly. He's good enough to play shortstop, probably good enough to play shortstop at the big league level. He's a switch hitter. He rarely swings and misses. And he's arguably got as good a hit tool as Tamar Johnson. He's hitting 427 with 16 doubles, one triple, six home runs, and 35 RBI. But here's the big thing for me. He's got 25 walks and six strikeouts. 25 walks, just six strikeouts, and that's massive. 
And his power looks like it's coming along nicely. Six home runs and 110 at bats. If Brooks Lee falls to the Nationals, I am I would be ecstatic. To be honest, I think the Pirates take take Brooks Lee here if he's available. If not, Elijah Green is probably who they go with. Uh, and then that leads us to our fifth pick, the Nationals, which is what we really all want to talk about. So in my little discussion here, I've taken Drew Jones off the board, Tamar Johnson off the board, Dylan Lesko off the board, and Brooks Lee off the board. In my mock draft, I have the Nationals taking Elijah Green. He's number four on my big board. He's got tremendous strength and power with some athleticism. He's the son of a a former uh, NFL tight end, Eric Green. But he's got some swing and miss issues, and he seems like more of a work in progress than any of the others that we've discussed. He's got a 60 power tool and a 70 run tool, so that's big. He's a He's got a great swing. I have the Nationals taking him at number five. A lot of mock drafts have the Nationals taking Jace Young or Jacob Berry in that position. Basically, my thing is, I as long as we don't take Dylan Lesko, because we don't need pitcher, we want to go position player. And any one of these other six guys I'd be happy with, I would prefer... You know, if Drew Jones, Tamar Johnson, or Brooks Lee falls to number five, I'd pouncing on any one of those three guys a lot. And then if those three guys are gone, it comes down to whether you want Elijah Green, who's going to be a work in progress, but has really high upside, or do you want to go with a safer pick such as Jace Young or Jacob Berry? Now, the problem with Young and Barry is defensive issues. Now, I feel a little bit better about Young defensively than I do about Jacob Barry. Jacob Barry, I'm not as high on. Jace Young, I'd be happy take, if, taking Jace Young at number five. Uh, he's got lots of powers to all fields. Uh, he struggles at second base, but he's hitting 400 on the season. He's got 12 doubles, one triple, eight home runs. 30 walks versus just 16 K. So he's got that plate discipline. I really, really like that. So I'm really high on Jace Young at number five. Uh, if we want to go that direction with a safer pick, Jacob Barry for me, there's just something about Jacob Barry that scares me. And as much as I like watching him hit at LSU, he just, there's just something about him that doesn't quite impress me. He does have a 12 walk to 12 strikeout ratio. So he's not a big strikeout guy and he's got, he's a switch hitter and it looks like he hits pretty consistently from both sides of the plate and isn't stronger on either side. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, But for me, my mock draft, I have Elijah Wood, excuse me, not Elijah Wood, uh, Elijah Green. Sorry, I must have the Hobbit on my mind or uh, Lord of the Rings because Elijah Wood popping in my head. Elijah Green uh, going number five to the Nationals. But the more I think about it, the more I convince myself that Jace Young might be the guy you know, and I've talked to a couple other people and they like Jace Young Um, and Elijah Green again could be gone before we draft at number five. So the more I think about it, the more I would love to take Jace Young at number five. If obviously Brooks Lee, Tamar Johnson or Drew Jones is already gone, which is expected to be the case. So I'll have another mock draft coming out. I think probably next month or so, uh, it might be, it might be, yeah, probably May, probably uh, right at the beginning of the NCAA tournament. And we'll see what's changed since then. But right now, 
my top five, I have the Orioles taking Drew Jones, the Diamondbacks taking Tamar Johnson, the Rangers taking Dylan Lesko, the Pirates taking Brooks Lee, and the Nationals taking Elijah Green. So I wouldn't be mad uh, if they took Jace Young. And that's my top five picks. We can talk more about where we're going with the picks later on. We're going to head on to our next segment. We're going to talk briefly about some of the injuries in college baseball. I've mentioned a couple of times there's been some players that have gone down. Uh, Connor Prelip of Alabama could have been the number one pitcher taken uh, this season. He could have been the number one pick this season. He's still number 17 on my big board, even with the injury, though I have him uh, going to the Astros at 28. I think that's going to change. And when I do my next mock, he's going to go much higher than that. Because like I said earlier, when we were talking about Hunter Barco at Florida, Hunter Barco right now is the top ranked college pitcher. And I think I would feel more comfortable taking one of these uh, injured guys or guys with injury concerns rather than Hunter Barco, because that fastball is just so average. And I think you need to have a little bit better fastball to be successful in the major leagues. So Connor Prelip, he had Tommy John surgery in May of 2021. He has yet to get back on the mound. I don't think he gets back on the mound this season. He might do some workouts to try and get ready for the draft, but he's got a 60 rated fastball. He's got a dominating slider and that's a good one-two combo, but he does have a changeup as well. That's a little bit average, but that fastball slider combo, nasty, nasty stuff. He's a lefty, by the way. Now, another top 10 pitcher before his injury, Peyton Pallet of Arkansas. He had Tommy John surgery in January, so he's nowhere near ready to throw. He's number 22 on my big board, even with the injury. I currently have him undrafted in my first-round mock. But he's got a good fastball, a plus curveball, and a decent changeup. A little bit in a tier below Connor Prelip, but those two guys were two of the big college arms that went down before the season even started. So you're thinking, crap. All right. So Landon Sims became the top ranked college pitcher. And early March came, and it might have been late February. And he was number 10 on my big board. I had him going to the Rockies at number 10 and he tore his, his UCL and that was it. He's undergone Tommy John surgery. He's out for the season. Not sure where he's going to fall now because he was making transition from from reliever for Mississippi state to starter. And he was doing a pretty good job with his command, especially and getting swings and misses. Uh, when he went down, but he's got a knockout slider as well, uh, below average changeup and a plus fastball. So those three guys, those trio could have been top 10 picks. Now they're going to fall to the later parts of the first round, uh, which, you know, if we get them to fall far enough, who knows, maybe they fall all the way to 45 doubtful, not likely Carson Wisenhunt was then the next top college pitcher and it seems like there's a curse going because now that he's the top college pitcher he uh was number 15 on my big board lefty out of east carolina i had him going to the angels at number 13 and then he failed a uh performance enhancing drug test he is out for the season suspended and that's going to be a bit of a problem not just for ecu but for his first round hopes so he drops You've got Oregon ace, Alex Meyer, UConn ace, Reggie Crawford, 
Both of them top 100 prospects in their own right. They're out for the season. Tanner Witt, who I briefly talked about earlier when talking about Texas, he was the number one pitcher for 2023. He's out for the season with Tommy John surgery. We'll see if he can get back in time for next season. That's going to be tough for him. He's out for the year. And the other pitcher that we haven't even started talking about is last year's number 10 pick, Kumar Rocker. I wanted the Nationals. I kind of wanted the Nationals to take him when, when, when we had the chance. Ultimately, he did not pass his physical with the Mets. Despite uh, an independent MRI following the 2021 season that claimed his shoulder and elbow had no injury, the Mets ultimately failed to sign him. He is re-entering the draft this season. He is currently number 21 on my big board. I have him going to the Blue Jays at number 23. I think it's interesting that he's going to fall farther because of this, because of these injury concerns. But as far as we know, there are no injury concerns except what the Mets said. And the Mets just seem to have some concerns and decided not to sign him. Where Kumar Rocker is going to go is really interesting. I've heard people uh, have him going in the second round. I don't think he falls that far. I think he goes in the first round. And again, I would take Kumar Rocker over Hunter Barco right now based on upside. Because again, that's that's what I'm all about. And in the back end of the first round, you're not really looking for as safe picks. You can you can go a little bit risk. So the interesting thing about all these pitchers with you know Prelip and Pallet and Sims and Wisenhunt and now Rocker is these guys are probably going to go after pick 15. Okay, so we're talking second half of round one. There are five guys who are potentially top 10 picks if they're healthy and everything's perfect. These are top 10, possibly top five. Like I said, Connor Prelip might have been number one that you can get in the second half of round one. So you're going to have some good teams picking up some good prospects with high upside if they can you know, get back from these injuries. And that makes it very intriguing in the back half of, of the second you know, of the second round, excuse me, the second half of the first round. Um, and then of course the compensate, uh, the, the compensation picks as well after that, because the nationals don't draft until number 45. All right. So moving along our trivia answer. Remember we asked earlier who, which MLB future hall of famer played all nine positions in a single game at Florida state and hit a grand slam in that game. Gave it another second to think of the answer. And it is the recently retired Buster Posey, who played all nine positions for Florida State in a game on May 12, 2008, where he hit a grand slam and an 8-0 win over Savannah State. So Buster Posey is the answer to our very first trivia question. And now we're going to kick it off to our final segment, which is the midweek preview. It's going to just be a brief rundown of the games available Tuesday and Wednesday night. we got a slew of good ones. Uh, Louisville going to Kentucky. That'll be Tuesday night at 630 on SEC Network Plus. Uh, Georgia, who just swept Florida. They're going to go on the road to Clemson, who's been struggling a bit since starting off 14-0. We've got Ole Miss on the road. Top 25 matchup at South, at Southern Miss on Tuesday uh, on SEC Network Plus. We've got South Carolina at North Carolina Tuesday at 7. Baylor at 
Dallas Baptist, Tuesday at 7.30. We've got Texas State, who's number 12 in my latest rankings. They're headed to Texas A&M. That'll be on uh, Tuesday, 7.30, SEC Network. We got a nice little Pac-12 in-state rivalry, Arizona at Arizona State, Tuesday at 8. And the big game on Wednesday will be uh, Liberty, who was previously ranked. They head on the road to the University of Virginia. They'll face the Who's at 7 o'clock on the ACC Network. So that's our midweek preview. Of course, other teams are in action. They're just not being highlighted in the big-time matchups. I'm personally going to be psyched to watch uh, Ole Miss at Southern Miss and Georgia at Clemson on Tuesday night. And then, uh, of course, I'll be watching Liberty at Virginia on Wednesday as opening day approaches Thursday. So these will be nice little tasty tests before opening day on Thursday. So on Friday, we'll preview the weekend's games. We'll talk about the top 2023 prospects if your MLB team is looking to tank. And we'll have some more trivia and some more fun. And I hope you guys enjoyed the very first show of the Amateur Update. Once again, please subscribe to us on Patreon. We'll be releasing two shows a week during the college baseball season leading up to the MLB draft. And that'll be it. So remember, it's $3 on Patreon just for this show and $10 for all the shows. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you guys on Friday. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.